Folks, good morning. Uh, this is Greg Grasso with Chapter One. I've got in my hand a uh, on a gentleman who uh, survived uh, World War II, uh, a gentleman who put his own life in danger, um, a gentleman who cared about his uh, fellow soldiers. Um, I'm talking about a book called Behind Nazi Lines, and this was written by Andrew Hodges. Uh, Andrew is the son of uh, of this uh, World War II POW hero. Uh, Behind Nazi Lines, My Father's Heroic Quest to Save 149 World War II POWs. It's my pleasure talking with you today, Andrew. How are you? I'm good, Greg. Thank you. Good. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like you to uh, uh, give us a little thumbnail on what the book is about, and then we'll we'll get into some uh, we'll get into some questions if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I'm the junior. My father was Andrew Hodges Senior, and uh, I'm the junior. So I heard these stories growing up uh, at an early age, and. And my father didn't tell a lot of people, but he sure told the family, and he was a great storyteller. But the story is that he was, you know, he he wanted to join the service, go to World War II like all the men did, and he had had a football injury. He was physically ineligible, and so he joined the American Red Cross, became attached to the 94th Infantry in occupied France uh, as a Red Cross field officer, and not expecting to face the rigors and dangers of combat other than traveling with the with the infantry and uh, and and there were two major POW camps on the coast of western France there were submarine bases pockets one in Lorient in northern western coast of France one a little further south more central uh Saint-Nazaire and one of the POW camps the allied prisoners american prisoners mostly Snuckle, they were starving, they were, winter was coming on, they were going to freeze to death, they were, they were sick, and they threw a Hail Mary letter out to the American Red Cross, snuck it out, hoping to get to the Red Cross, and they snuck it out through a French farm girl. They, it got to the 94th Infantry headquarters, and Major General Maloney um, called Dad in and said, this is to you, uh, do what you can to get these men supplies, and they're starving and they're hungry and so forth. And so my father, without uh, real good con, not with poor contact with the Germans, uh, couldn't reach them, tried to reach them, headed out behind Nazi lines, occupied France, to attempt to communicate and take some, with the Germans and take supplies to these Americans and um, Allied prisoners. And as a result, two POW swaps unfolded as a result of my father's negotiating skills after he risked his life to get to the Nazis to, to negotiate and deal with them to rescue these POWs, at least take them supplies. And the swaps, he ended up proposing a POW swap, and that's how these four swaps ended up happening. And was something like this uh, typical in, in 44? I mean, uh, um... you know, what what we think is is, is several World War II scholars and so forth and people that were participants uh, said that this was the only major POW swap carried out by one man and a lot of times there would be like two for two or something, not a lot, but some there would be small numbers, two for two or something, but this was 79 for 79 and things like that. So this was the only POW swap, the only group of swaps carried out by one man and 
he came up with the idea when he was nego- when he was taking them supplies and negotiated with the Nazis, and that's how it, they came to be. Wow, um, Andrew. Yeah, you are a psychiatrist, correct? Correct. And um, obviously, an intelligent man. Um, what? How can I put this? Did you write this from uh, uh, your perspective, listening to the stories uh, told by your dad? Did you write this uh, trying to figure out something about uh, that time in our history? Um, Mm -hmm. Did you write this to uh, uh, answer some of your questions that you've had? I mean, what was the reason for writing right. this type of book? Because you've 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 written another yeah. book, uh, um, right? About Jesus. Um, uh, well, I've written. Yeah, this is my eighth book, but yeah. I do forensic profiling and so forth. This was a different book, but um, you know, I heard this these stories growing up. I knew the stories. Uh, I appreciated them more as I got older. My father was a great storyteller. He appreciated drama. He, he he understood the drama he was in in terms of just the stories that we told. But I thought it was a story that should be told because it was inspiring. And this wasn't just his story. It's also the stories of the POWs that we interweave in the book. And every man had a story. And I think, you know, why do we like these World War II stories? Because our generation and those that follow us, the younger folks, they everybody needs leaders and heroes that inspire and and that's how life works and i felt like it was a great inspirational story that contained a lot of stories within the story and i thought it ought to be told and that was that was our motivation we just thought it was a and i had a co-writer that helped me shape the drama and do some of the research and so forth so this was uh you know it was a labor of love but it was to inspire because i understand how people what leads people and inspires people in stories like this to to uh, do courageous things? Everybody wants to really get some the best out of themselves deep down, and stories like this help us. Yeah, did it um, did it heal anything you had uh, tucked away? Um, well, you know, uh, I think what it did, uh, Greg, was it comes out in the book that my father was in his development, grew up in a small town. Working in a country store, grew up very poor, working in a small general store, dealing with the public since age 10. Learned how to negotiate and meet people's needs, had to get along with the public, but he just learned how to meet needs and learn how to negotiate. And you fast forward, and he's in over his head in occupied France, not expecting to be, you know, going behind the Nazi lines. But he was a great negotiator. He understood people very well, and um, he learned how to negotiate and convince them of their needs. And he represented the Americans, and we had our needs. And the Germans wanted soldiers, combat-ready soldiers, and we wanted our POWs back. And he showed them those skills and, I mean, showed them their needs and and our needs. And then fast forward, and I go behind the lines of the human mind and show people things within themselves that they really want to do. They don't know they want to do. They think they want to do one other thing. They have a better plan deep down. And I... Basically, we've really learned how to tap into that deeper wisdom, and I just show people, I, I give them the opportunity to tell me their story and and in therapy, and then that, um, you know, I help them, I negotiate with them and say, look, you're negotiating with yourself. I'm the intermediary. So it's a really similar process uh, 
that I hadn't appreciated until I wrote the book exactly and came up with a title. That was my idea behind Nazi lines. I think because I go behind the lines of the human mind and show people what they really want to be. And the same thing ends up, I ended up a forensic profiler, and people that are guilty really want to confess, and the truth sets them free. So that applied over in that part of my field. But, yeah, the story, it's interesting, the parallels in certain ways to my father. I'm a negotiator, he was a negotiator, and he was the negotiator to start with. Hmm. Yeah, it, this story's phenomenal because um, uh, the stories, you don't hear uh, about individuals. You hear, Like you said, you hear about groups. Uh, Red Cross tried... Uh, uh, tried to do what they could to to uh, get some of these prisoners out. Um, I know that the Red Cross was very active uh, in 44, 45. Um, so what kind of relationship did your father have uh, with with uh, the Red Cross? Uh, you know, obviously yeah. he – yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, he had a great relationship, and they gave him a lot of freedom, and he was field director over there. And after the war, they wanted him to stay over, stay over there and be a major field director for part of Europe and maybe eventually all of Europe. Who knows? I don't, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, he had a great relationship with him. They gave him a lot of freedom, but he was the one that came up with the idea of the swaps. The Red Cross, were, they were just trying to meet needs yeah. of POWs, and he went under a truce flag, and he got over there, and you know, just it occurred to him to in, intuitively. He's the, the Germans respected him and admired his courage, and they liked him. He was, he just knew how to relate to people and be honest with people and sincere and show them, you know, and relate to them as individuals, like you said. And and so he um, he showed them their needs, and and he um, he got he he proposed a swap. I mean, he and and it was really an unheard of proposal and. He had to go back to headquarters and say, look, I know you didn't send me over here to do this, but I think we can get these men out, and the Germans need men. And one thing led to another, and and he got 79 Allied prisoners out through a real dramatic circumstances, a lot of obstacles. And then uh, uh, and then the story of the second prison camp came, and uh, uh, they needed to – we had some emer- – they had some emergency communication. Could you come to the second prison camp and get our German prison camp holding Allied prisoners? Could you get us out? And and uh, the Germans had heard of the first swap and my father's reputation and for dealing fairly, and so they were much more attuned, even though it was a very difficult negotiation, much more difficult than the first. The Germans didn't want to give up certain people, particularly one British commando officer uh, that was in the prison camp, and he negotiated for that. So uh, that's how it unfolded. And, uh, you know, that's Red Cross gave him a lot of opportunities, and he served them well. Um, You work with the mind of individuals as a psychiatrist. You're uh, as a forensic psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, excuse me. Um, You try to figure out why. yeah. So, what's the different? What's the difference, um, Andrew, with the Nazi machine compared to the foot soldier, uh, the Allied foot soldier? I mean, what was what was the difference? I've heard so many stories about when Hitler started to build the uh, mm-hmm. uh, his Nazi right. war machine. Um, there were there were a couple of of nutcases, um, Goering and, you know, some of those other guys that were high level that were totally psychotic. But 
Did you, have you ever figured out why the average German soldier went to the Nazis instead of stayed with the uh, with the regular army? I mean, why would you? Well, I think you know it's it's marketing and success, and it's it's uh, seductive and power seductive, and mm. Hitler was manipulative, and everything fell in place. You know, if you go back and study it, he never should have come to power, but everything just you know fell into place, and he manipulated the German people, and they were they were traumatized greatly. The German people at different points in the last you know, 30, 20, 30 years significantly. And they were, when you're traumatized, you're ready to be manipulated if you're not careful. And he manipulated them and, and, um, you know, he, he ended up controlling and he used force and intimidation. So that contrasted with the Americans who were simply, the the Germans were following a, a man who was taking law into his own hands and violating really basic human natural law that's how the nazis were tried but he misled a nation versus the americans had a sense of what was the right thing to do stand up to mm-hmm. oppression and violence and and murder and and uh stop them mm-hmm. and they had a different um a different uh, way of operating a different belief value system deep down and, and consciously too and so they stood up and each American soldier came. That's what stands out to me in this story. All the individuals were important. They each stood up courageously, and they came together and formed quite an army. And so that was the difference, uh, one doing the right thing, one doing the wrong thing. In the end, it was a pretty clear choice, and that's how the Nazis were tried on the basis of crimes against humanity. So so my father had a great sense of doing the right thing, and so did so did the American soldier. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. Germany was in so much trouble in the 30s coming on the heels of World War I. I mean, they had like the 68 or 70 percent unemployment rate, and the economy was just toast. These poor people were starving, um, the average German citizen. Um, hmm, Crazy. Did did your dad ever um, talk about the... The other camps, um, the death camps. Um, you know, we talked about it. Uh, did he yeah, know he what was going? Did he know what was going on uh, in '44? Uh, because a lot of people say later, no. And, yeah, mm-hmm. he did later, and he had heard stories about it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know it became a progressive revelation to all the soldiers in America, and you know, in in, in America, the, even our, our, you know, our leaders and so uh but he surely appreciated it and i think that uh really helped him appreciate what he did the joy he experienced in getting these men out and we tell this in the book and you'll see you'll see one picture you'll see the picture on the cover of the american pow's marching to the to the to the shore to be exchanged for german pow's they're all smiling they're all ready to go home they're just very motivated happy and here come the germans knowing they're going back to combat the germans PO POWs that are being, you know, being right. swapped, right. and they're downcast and everything. And in, there's a picture in the book, and the pictures are really telling. Some very nice pictures in the book. Uh, I think you would agree. And, yes, yes, yes. And uh, there's there's one picture, and my dad always told this story. He would never forget it. He said they brought him over. French uh, uh, fisherman fishing boat carried about ten prisoners at a time. So ten Germans back to their side, ten Americans back to our side, back and forth. And uh, my dad always remembered that one American that got out, and when he got to the Allied side, he bent down and kissed the ground, and that picture's in the book. And I know that it just caused him so much joy to 
to see his work come to fruition and knowing that you know they they could have died in their own prison camp it, it would it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been Auschwitz but they would have died yeah. and it would have been horrible and they would have starved and you know frozen to death died of disease over a longer period of time and so he knew what he had done and um he was always grateful for the experience and he always talked about he said these men were the soldiers that really went through it and i just did my part in helping them get out yeah, I'm looking at the photo actually right now. It was Private Lewis Wynn, kid 17 years old. Can you imagine being 17 and thrown into oh this kind of? Can you imagine? Oh, that? he lied to get in the service too. You well, a lot of kid, a did. lot of kids did back then. <laughs> they did. Yeah, yeah. They sure did. <laughs> My dad was 17. He ended up uh, in the Pacific conflict. He ended up on Guam. Um, he was oh, with, he was with yeah. the Seabees, and uh, at 17 yeah. years old, he was in charge of the uh, prisoner uh, prisoners on on Guam for a short amount of time. But they didn't give him any uh, they didn't give him any ammo. He he had his uh, he had his uh, carbine, right? <laughs> but no ammo because yeah. my my dad was a small guy, and uh, uh-huh. there were a couple of bad. Uh, you know, Japanese soldiers there, <laughs> so pretty crazy, yeah. pretty, pretty crazy. But you can believe they didn't know the gun wasn't loaded. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, it's amazing, isn't it, that to think of your dad at 17 functioning as a soldier in warfare and doing his very best and being as tough as he needed to be 17 years old. It's just amazing, but people can do amazing things when they have to if they are got the right... Uh, Motivation, you know, internal, mm-hmm. right motivation and right uh, understanding of matters. Yes, and that says a lot about your dad. Um, I'm 61. You're 72. Uh, we've got 10 years right. apart, but really not too that much. In, in, uh, or we have a lot yeah. in common, actually. Um, uh, my dad. Yeah, we heard the stories. Yeah, yeah, we we did hear the stories. Uh, my dad didn't talk much about it because I, I, I when when. When he started getting real old and he was on his last leg, uh, um, uh-huh. his 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 uh, memory of of uh, Guam came back to him. Uh, he had, uh, you know, dementia and yeah. whatever. Greg, do you know how often I've heard that story and I see this? Serious. Because as, a, as a psychiatrist, I end up special. I mean, you know, trauma runs the human race. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the traumatic events that we have to deal with and overcome and so forth. And one of the patterns I see over and over, not just the World War II, I see it about Vietnam, mm-hmm. they can go through horrendous things. They don't come home and talk about it. No. And then, then a lot of them don't. And my father did because I don't think he lost a buddy in a foxhole. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he, he was able to, to see trauma with a little bit more perspective. But trauma gets covered over. And I think this is why it's important to help people see what these soldiers went through. And one reason they can't talk about it is it's so dead gum traumatic and and they just bury it and have to move on i mean what they did for us is amazing and uh it's time to appreciate that and that's why i wanted to tell the story because i I see the effect on people's lives and and uh you know that's just very important a lot of people do not tell the story relatives will tell you stories i never heard my dad didn't talk about much Mm -hmm. yeah wow so andrew what um what do you do day to day now uh are you still working um, yeah, you... I always work. I, I specialize in, in, in um, intensive therapy to help people resolve these deeper issues, a lot hmm. of them to do with trauma. Hmm. And I do forensic profiling, and it's and so I'm a negotiator, and people mm-hmm. come in, and mm-hmm. they 
they show how their trauma causes them to avoid certain things they don't need to avoid and make unhealthy decisions, and we work that over, and I, negotiate, I show them how they're negotiating with themselves. Same thing in forensic profiling. Somebody come, I look at these documents. I always work from somebody's own mind that's a suspect, and they have major cases I've written on, and they always want to cover up consciously. Deep down, they must confess. They must tell the truth. It's the only way to freedom. Think of Lady Macbeth. You know, she's got to get that blood off her hands, and that's what murderers do. And I think there are ways of investigating, but I think murder cases show us the mind in a very new way. And so that's one of my purposes as a forensic profiler, to teach people about the mind. And, and they'll be interested in, in forensic cases, you know, when they want about, uh, say, therapy cases. But we're, we're interested in World War II, which are stories, are powerful stories that we're drawn towards to help us understand ourselves. I think that's a deeper issue for why we want to see how these people are. World War II people handled it. How can we handle it? Uh, we're their, you know, we're their descendants. Yeah, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about some of these kids coming back from the current conflicts. Um, yeah, I would. No, I, w- I understand. Yeah, I was. I was very. I signed up for Vietnam, uh, but I got sent yeah. to Diego Garcia <laughs> in the middle oh, of the Indian word. Ocean. I was with the oh, CB. Yeah, but but hey, you know, I wanted to do the right thing. I had um, uh, yeah. I had a co- right. father who had a cousin. He was a war hero. My dad was a great man. You know, blah blah blah. So. I aspire. Yeah. I aspired to that, um, but you know, I asked. Yeah, it built into you. That's so fascinating how it built into you, I and mean, that's what stories do. Yeah, I, I asked my dad one day, um, "How'd you get through it?" And he turned and looked at me and he said, "Greg, uh, I used denial to get through my trauma." Right. And I remember talking to another psychiatrist a few months ago about denial. Um, you can get through mm-hmm. anything if you deny it, can't you? The problem is well, can also, the problem is it 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 stays right. <laughs> I mean that gets tucked the away. The problem and is it's still you can a, yeah mm. you can pay a price for denial because then you start burying uh, mm. important other issues and you you can you can also avoid other things and conflicts and and uh, I, I personally believe this was part of the protest mm-hmm. in the Vietnam War. I don't think the protesters understood that, but I think they were unconsciously. Uh, res- recipients of all this World War II violence. They didn't want to go back to it, and they, they just didn't want anything to do with warfare. And I don't think most of the protesters understood why they were protesting, all out of this wish to deny the pain. And it helps us see, you know, why I told the story. To go back and see the greatness, you got to see the pain. The pain shows you the greatness and that you overcome something. So there's a, you know, that's, we're still, we got to overcome things in this country, and can we face enough pain to you know, to, to do it. And, uh, you know, so pain, pain gets our attention. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, one, one last question. Um, and then we really, I'm sorry, we have about a minute left. Okay. All right. One last question. Um, you loved your dad. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, you looked up to him and, uh, yep. Do you look up to your kids the same way as you look up to your father? You know, it's funny. I think every parent, if you if you raise your kids the right way and then you watch them develop, you take real pride in it. And in a real way, you do. And in my book, The Deeper Intelligence, I dedicated it to my two daughters and said, these are my two of my best teachers. Mm, <laughs> so wow. you do. Wow. Yeah. i got to read some more of your stuff. Um, we, bet, yeah. we better cut loose. Um, okay. Um, 
Andrew Hodges, behind Nazi lines, uh, my father's heroic quest to save 149 World War II POWs. It's a very well-organized book. Uh, gives you a count, uh, a day count, uh, an hour-by-hour hour count, a uh, location count of what uh, what Andrew's father went through. To And Andrew's dad was totally driven by uh, uh, the love and respect and uh, willingness to help his uh, fellow man. Thank you very much. That's great. I appreciate those comments. I really do. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Great success okay. to you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye.